Welcome to the Great Loop Radio podcast, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we're continuing our series on the story of our loop, which is where we bring in some of our gold loopers, which is anyone who's completed the loop, and they just kind of share the details of their Great Loop adventure. As you found out, if you've listened to the series, they're all different, and we like to try and bring in people who did the loop in different ways on different types of boats. Today, we're going to talk to Stan and Dana, and they finished the loop last year on an MJM40Z, so a beautiful boat, and we're going to talk about all the details of that boat and how they did the loop. Before we jump in, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with that out of the way, Stan and Dana, thanks so much for joining me today from your home in Key West. Great to be here. Hi. Yeah, you're probably surrounded by loopers at this point, and the marina is there because this is a very popular time. <laughs> we saw a new one yesterday. Yeah. Yep. Well, that, that's great to hear. I'm glad everyone is continuing south and enjoying their journey. Um, start off with, you know, tell us a little bit about yourselves and, and when you did the Great Loop. Well, we're, uh, uh, let's see, where to start on that. So uh, we're from Chicago and uh, we still maintain a residence there, but we've been living in Key West for the last uh, the last 10 years. And uh, we just happened to go to a, a presentation at the, uh, at the Chicago Yacht Club, uh, I think it was in June of the year we started the loop and it was pretty inspiring and so i i asked dana if she would mind doing the loop it was way years before it was way years before <laughs> yeah, and you were out here looking at that still thinking about it when i walked out and said i do that and we were gone in 90 days that was it <laughs> that's so pretty amazing so i never stand- heard of the loop when we went to the thing yeah. at the yacht club yeah, yeah. stan knew what he was going to I had no idea. But Dana, it sounds like you were on board with the idea pretty quickly. Lines is a great boat mm-hmm. and Stan's a great captain. So I wasn't, yeah, I was fine. So let's talk about Limes a little bit because that is always kind of the biggest question people have for Gold Loopers is tell us yeah. about the boat. So um, Limes, as I mentioned, is an MJM 40Z. So tell us a little bit about her. Yeah, so she's, she's uh She's 40 feet long. She's she's really small for a 40-foot boat. She's only 12 feet uh, on the beam. And the purpose of that uh, for Bob Johnson and the MGM group was so you could trail the boat from the north side of the country down to Florida in the, in the wintertime, which is how we got excited about the boat. And uh, so the boat goes back and forth in the in the wintertime, it comes down to Key West with us. In the summertime, we send it back up to Chicago. But the beam, with it being fairly narrow, means there's a little, there's less room inside than a typical 40-footer. But it also is a, a fast boat, and it's a, it's a planing hull. We have IPS drives, multiple IPS drives in it, and it loves to cruise at 27, 28 knots, and it's super efficient uh, in that regard. And I think at that yeah, we were cruising at 27, 28, we're getting 1.1, 1.2 miles to gallon. Wow, that's great. <laughs> um, 
you know, the fuel efficiency of those boats is pretty outstanding, but let, let's talk a little bit more. Um, there's lots to unpack with that, um, which is exciting because it's a little, it's a different boat for the Great Loop. We don't see a ton of them out there, um, but it really is a fantastic boat for the Great Loop. But let's, you talked about the beam being a little smaller. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Bob Johnston, um, he is uh, pretty well known for his sailboat designs and the mjm is of course a power boat but to me it's a the at least the interior is a little bit reminiscent of what you'd see in a sailboat it, for the length of the boat it's, it's not a big spacious trawler which is part of what makes it fuel efficient which you know part of what makes it um a little easier to drive perhaps but you mentioned bringing it back and forth from chicago to key west yep. and you kind of mentioned having it sent were you um floating around our bottom up and down the rivers or were you transporting it over the roads well, when we uh, seasonally, we'll take it, uh, we'll, we'll put it on a truck and send it from Chicago to Key West and then back up in the okay. uh, in the springtime. And this is a great opportunity in learning about the loop. Let's just take it down to Key West ourselves. Forget about the truck. Yeah. And it was well, a pretty exciting way to do it. Well, the, the truck is a very interesting concept, though, too, because I, until just now, honestly, didn't realize that you could um, ship the MJM. It's a little bit out of my price range, <laughs> but I did not realize that you could actually, it was shippable over the roadways because that's one of the things I find with a lot of loopers. Um, now you had the boat for a while before you did the loop. So you knew it was the boat for you. I find a lot of loopers, you know, there's this um, impression that a lot of loopers do the loop and then immediately sell the boat. And I think that is largely true, but I think it's often because they fall in love with this style of boating, but find that maybe there's just something a little bit different that they would want in a longer term boat. And I fall into that case. We've had lots of discussions after this loop. One of the things that would be attractive to us, um, now we called it downsizing from our 41 foot because of the beam, but having something we could more quickly and um, more cost effectively with fuel being so high, get from our home in Charleston to let's say the Thousand Islands region to do more exploring there. From Charleston, yeah. it's a whole lot of time and a whole lot of fuel, similar to Chicago to Key West, just yeah. to reposition the boat. So there's something really attractive about um, moving it over the roads. So I was not aware you could do that with an MGM, an MJM. Um, yeah. That's pretty attractive. Maybe to maybe be a little bit more clear there, Kim, you can, you can move it over the highways without a permit. So you don't need the wide right. load person behind your wide load truck behind you. You can just load and go. Right, which makes it a whole lot more cost-effective when you're doing that. But the other thing about the MJM that is really nice, both for the loop and both for shipping it on the highways um, is its height. So you can yes. clear a lot of bridges on the MJM that you can't clear on some other looping boats. So tell us a little bit about, you know, give us those specifications. What's the water draft, the sure. air draft, that sort of thing. Sure. So the air draft's about 10 feet. So you can get under, gee, I think we only had one bridge that had open for us. Uh, and the, uh, the water draft, the water draft's about three and a half feet, two and a half feet when you're on plane. So you can go, you can go anywhere with them. Yeah, those are very attractive features. And, and the fact that you just said one bridge on the whole loop that you had to wait for to open is pretty enticing for people who have been stuck at bridges for a long time. Really yeah. not. The only time we had a bridge that had, we had a couple of those roads that were right after a lock that nobody could get under, like unless you had a canoe. Yes. Yeah, there's no one place, Charleston plus or minus, there was a storm coming in and we had to wait. We had to wait for a bridge to open. 
It's kind of a yeah. funny place for a lock. I forgot exactly where they put it this way. We're not exactly sure, and that's how not a problem. Exactly. Exactly. You know, for those of us who, you know, it happens where you you catch a bridge at the wrong time and you're waiting for a substantial amount of time or, um, you know, if it's closed um, and there's a train coming or whatever it might be, there's been several. Um, in fact, we were somewhere on the Trent Severin and, you know, waiting with a bunch of other looper boats first thing in the morning while the train was going over a bridge. And there was one boat that just, you know, it was a ranger tug or something, but just kind of slid right past all of us and went under the bridge and kept right on going. So we went, ah. Um, so it is. Yeah, it's a nice feature. Um, you also mentioned that the boat, you know, it'll cruise at 28 knots, which is faster than most loopers go, yep. uh, faster than they can and faster than many want to. How yep. often did you really get her up on plane and, and go those speeds? You know, we would do that. We would be doing that quite a bit. We would average about 100 miles a day. It was mm -hmm. awesome when we came across the Gulf of Mexico. Oh, when yeah. everybody was had to wait out the night and go all night. We were we left in the morning and we were at uh, St. Pete by cocktail uh, hour. Yeah, really. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah and, and you know, um, I think some look at that overnight crossing as kind of a rite of passage. I do not fall into that category. We're actually uh, going to be doing the crossing in the next month. And thankfully, um, the perch is a, a Silverton 410. We can do it in a daylight. And uh, not with me aboard, but Michael and the perch have done it twice, daylight only crossing. So I'm kind of thankful for that. Um, yes. So yeah, there's something to be said for that. But I, get, I do get asked a lot by people who own boats that are capable of going faster. You know, how much time can you be up on plane on the loop? Um, you know, some of the canals have a speed limit, um, some of the more populated areas, there's just so much boat traffic, it's a challenge, but, um, were there, you know, kind of besides the golf crossing, were there extended air piece, extended yeah. parts of time where you could really kind of be up on plane? We had definitely in the Great Lakes mm -hmm. yeah. and there'd be patches when we came down in the fall, there'd be a lake yeah. where we could, it mostly it depends more on who else is on the water. Because we learned about waking the hard way. Because yeah. we're ocean boaters. Mm -hmm. Nobody worries about waking anybody. It's, you know, hang on. It's an ocean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we were inadvertently horribly rude a couple of times in the first week because we didn't realize that the rules were different. <laughs> because we just, you know. So we'd have been up and we were up on a plane a couple of times we shouldn't have been. Yeah, in that in that first section, the uh, you know, but we, you know, we'd speed up, slow down, but we would average, we would average about fifteen knots a day, uh, if we had to speed up and slow down. So you right. could find your places to, uh, to get to get moving, and you know, we would typically be cruising five to six hours a day when we were mm -hmm. cruising, mm -hmm. and so that worked out okay. So you said you averaged about a hundred miles a day. Yeah. Uh, most loopers, you know, on average seem to do about 50. How many travel days, you know, in theory, the actual days on the water would have been ha about half as much, although you may have stayed longer than in specific ports. So, you know, tell us when you did the loop. When did you start? When did you finish? So we started in late September of uh, 2021 and we finished in early August of 2022 mm -hmm. and uh 
and our count was 55 cruising days. And we were on the boat for, I think, 77 days. What? And we do it in 10 day to two week segments and then go off the boat for 10 days, two weeks, something like that. Break it up. So that that's and that's another thing we get lots of questions about. So you more or less kind of did it in segments, meaning you did spend time on the boat, back off the boat. How did you I mean, I guess if you were off the boat for, you know, seven to 10 days or two weeks, it's not a lengthy departure from the boat. But how did you select where you were going to stop for those amounts of time? For those who are, you know, still working or traveling back home for other obligations, I get questions a lot from newer loopers who are wondering how to make that all work. So how did you do it? How did you select when it was time to, to get off the boat and go wherever? <laughs> you know, uh, it was generally, it was, the catalyst is generally uh, activities that we were committed to on land. Mm -hmm. And so when we, uh, when we got to those points, we would, I'd be calling ahead to marinas and finding a marina that could take us for 10 days to two weeks. And uh, I never really had a problem with that. Okay. Well, that that's great to know because I know people have concerns when they leave their boat in the water. Um, you know, again, that's not a tremendous amount of time. So I, I guess it, that's probably a little bit more comfortable. Um, and once you do it a few times, I'm sure it's much more comfortable when you're just, you know, you have a procedure for getting the boat ready to, to leave it. For a couple weeks yeah. it's more um, like making friends with the people in the marina to mm -hmm. make sure you look them in the eye and make sure you shake hands and maybe a little paper in the hand when you shake hands. <laughs> but, but then they keep an eye out for, you know if they know who you are they keep an eye out for you while you're gone as opposed to just you know leaving your boat sitting there absolutely yep absolutely and your looper looper friends will do that for you as well yeah um you did mention that um, Limes has IPS drives. So yes. talk about that because it's, of course, a little bit of a newer system, been out there for a little bit now. We do have lots of looper boats that have it, but did that create any special concerns for you? It seems that some people are still very um, worried about having them, that they're going to cause damage to the boat if they hit something. Um, but the people who have them seem to really love them. So what's your take on that? Uh, well, <laughs> Let's talk about damage to the boat first. So uh, we came out of, I think it was the Columbia yacht going into Green Turtle Bay, and uh, they didn't have a slip for us that night, so we were going into the anchorage just just north of it. And we, we came out of the lock, and we went to right, took a right turn, and we... Uh, Missed the channel marker. Well, I don't think there was a channel marker, but the... the uh, we hit an uncharted obstacle and bent all the props. So, okay. but the engines didn't come off, which was great. So let uh, me actually back up a second because um, some of our listeners are brand new to this kind of thing. So go ahead and tell us a little bit what we're talking about. What are IPS drives for those who perhaps have not come across that before? Good. So IPS, so you have, uh, inboard engines and the IPS transmission comes vertically down from the hull. And then the props actually are forward facing and they're, they're counter rotating. They're two on each side. And so it's a, it's a, and I think that's what makes it so efficient. Although I'm, I don't understand all that engineering, mm -hmm. but a couple of the other tricks that it can do, which is super helpful is that you, you can have joystick docking and it's very, very accurate. 
and in the currents and the wind and that kind of thing, it, it really just takes all the guesswork out of it. And for Dana and I, double handing, it makes it a lot easier. In fact, going into the locks, Dana would drive us into the locks and put us up against the wall and I would handle the lines. And that was a that was a that was a real advantage for us in doing that. Uh, so I hear that from so many people who have them that it you know the maneuverability of the boat using the joystick it just you can't come close to that um you know with traditional twin screw transmission you're just you, you don't have that kind of sideways motion so to speak that you can do with the IPS that right. said um so you did hit an uncharted obstacle we've done the same thing um you're dealing with four props at that point instead of one or two so, you know, does that mean, I mean, did you have to replace all four when it happened or, and is it, does four translate to double the price of two or are they different in that it's not quite twice the cost? No, I, I think it is twice. We did have a spare set of props mm -hmm. uh, in Fort Lauderdale. And so we had those shipped up and we got them, we got them replaced pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, and it turned out that, Volvo makes really good props, and they were able to uh, repair and reshape the props. But it was pretty spectacular curly cues at the end of them. Yeah, so we had a similar problem. Um, also had a spare set of props, so that made the, the turnaround time pretty simple. Um, yeah. We only actually had damage to one prop. It was kind of a rock ledge, apparently, <laughs> that we managed to hit. Um, but so Michael always says, if you have a spare set of props aboard, it's probably because you needed them <laughs> at some point. Um, and you had to have yours shipped in. But uh, were you the first owners of Limes? Yes. And did you have the spare set of props just in case this happened? Or was it something that you had already had to replace once? No, I th we got the spare set set for the trip. Yeah, a lot and a lot of people ask whether they should do that. Um, you know, it's kind of a different it's a different game post COVID. A lot of parts are harder to get, so it's a harder question to answer now. Before, you know, the answer was it's a lot of money to spend on an extra set of props if you may not need them, and that's why kind of the the, the joke that if you have extra props, it's because at some point you needed a new set and the old ones got straightened out, which we were able to do again this time. And that's exactly why we had a spare spare set is because they had been needed in the past. Um, but you also mentioned on the pod drives, um, you mentioned that luckily the engines were okay. So kind of explain what the risk is there with the pod drives. Yeah. So on the, on the pod drives, because the transmission sticks vertically down underneath the hull, but remember, not very far because our draft at rest is three and a half feet and on plane it's two and a half feet. So they don't go down very far. Right. Just enough. But if you hit something with enough force to preserve the hull of the boat, they're designed to break off. Right. And uh, fortunately, our props just bent. The transmission's going to break off. Yep. So that is good news. And I have heard some loopers with some pretty hefty bills when they have broken off. And again, it protects the hull. Um, you know, insurance is a whole other topic right now, but a lot of the people I've heard from who had that happen, it was covered by insurance. Um, but of course, once you put in a claim, who knows what happens after that. So definitely some really huge pluses to IPS drives um, in the maneuverability. 
some potential minuses, but you know, we all have those same minuses. If we hit something, you can do some substantial yeah. damage. So all things it, being equal, I know you, you love your MJM, but all things being equal, would you stick with pod drives? Or if you could have an option to have the same boat with a trans traditional transmission, would you we, go we the would, opposite way? No, we'd stick with the pod drives mm -hmm. for sure. Excellent. Yeah. Did you have another comment or question right there? Looked like you were starting to say uh, something when I jumped in. Yeah, I was just going to say, when you're going down the rivers, the water's black and you can't see anything. Right. We're used to, you know, down in Key West, you at least have an opportunity to spot <laughs> shallow water. Absolutely. Yes. And the rivers were extremely low this season. Um, I know you were last season coming through there, possibly even the one before that. But yeah, the, the rivers have been low and we've had lots of, of people with some prop damage because it's just there. there's obstructions that you know, yeah. are normally several feet further down in the water, but with the water so shallow, there's just, you know, things that are not charted that you're going to hit. And it's, it's just part of looping, but let's yep. take a break there. I want to play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about a couple of the other um, really cool technology features that are built into the MJM and then talk a little bit about um, your story of your loop. Is that beyond the boat, because it's, it's such a unique boat. We've been spending a lot of time on that, but I want to talk a little bit about your experiences on the loop as well. So we'll be back in a moment. Curtis Stokes and Associates is a yacht brokerage company that specializes in great loop capable boats. Curtis Stokes is a supporter of AGLCA at the Admiral level. If you're looking to buy or sell a great loop veteran from a trusted and knowledgeable broker, visit the company on the web at curtisstokes.net. Email curtisstokes at curtisstokes.net or call 954-684-0218. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guests today are Stan and Dana Day, and they did the loop, uh, finished it up last year, 2022, aboard an MJM-40Z named Limes. Uh, tell us about the name. Why is she named Limes? <laughs> oh, that's a long one. Uh, so we got... <laughs> So when we bought our house in Key West, there was a big uh, canopy tree uh, over the house that was called, uh, it was a Spanish lime tree. And so when we got our boat, we decided to call it limes, mm -hmm. to tie it all together. Fun. Yeah. So I want to talk, as I said, a little bit more about your specific loop. You talked about doing about 100 miles a day. You know, the boat is capable of some faster speeds than a lot of looping boats are. Um, you also spent some time, you know, kind of equal time on and off the boat during that year. So those are some of the things that we kind of call cruising preferences or different ways that you can do the loop. Uh, did you tend to pick marinas more or anchorages more or some of each? Yeah, so coming down the rivers, we did a little bit of each, uh, mm -hmm. uh, probably 20 to 30% at anchor, the rest in the, uh, in the marinas. But then... Going up from Key West, we tended to stay at marinas exclusively because, you know, we really wanted to get some exercise in in the morning. We found that uh, if we're at a marina, we could walk a few miles in the morning uh, before casting off. And it was uh, a little bit easier to stay active when we're at a marina than, uh, than at anchor. Yeah. One of the things that we asked you about in, in the pre-interview questions was the difference between the reality of the trip and your expectations before you started. And your answer was it was better than we could have imagined. Tell us some of the ways it was better than you had imagined. It was, I don't think we anticipated 
I mean, we knew we'd be on the boat. We knew we'd see pretty scenery and sunrises would be nice. and Sunsets would be nice. But I don't think we anticipated all the cool little town stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People always ask, what's your favorite part? And it was the little stuff. Yeah. I mean, the, being at the Statue of Liberty on the 4th of July was awesome, cool. Mm-hmm. But being in a little town and find every single tiny town, no matter how little it is, is celebrating something. That's so true. <laughs> and like in Delaware City, they have a memorial, I should say memorial, a monument to the diving bell that they used to use to service the lock gates in a lock that they haven't used in, you know, a hundred years. Mm-hmm. But they got a monument to the diving bell. And yeah. they're very proud of it. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's, scary, it's scary to think of using it. I mean, <laughs> for those poor people that had to had to go down to service that lock and catch I mean, their breath underneath this. It really is an upside diving. down bell. Yeah. It, it, it only worked by capturing water, air, yeah. and it went down. Wow. So you just had to be in it and hang on. I, it, yeah, and you know, then go out, do what you needed to do, go back in, take a couple deep breaths, go back out. It was pretty amazing. You know, someday I think somebody needs to put together like the curiosities on the loop along the way, the, the just amazing things that unexpected, but like that, um, you know, that you just, you're right. Every little town has something that's kind of their claim to fame that they celebrate and, and um, like to draw attention to. And some of them are very unique. <laughs> so, and that is certainly one of them. Um, what were some of the places you enjoyed the most? Well, maybe another unique one and, and a place we did enjoy a lot was uh, it's Beaufort, which uh, North Carolina, North Carolina, mm-hmm. it's close to Buford, South Carolina. <laughs> That's right, you got it right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, so we're we're walking down the dock, and usually we take time to uh, you know to read the plaques, which are which make the whole make these little towns come alive. Mm-hmm. Plaques that are that are all around. We're walking down the dock and we go by an obelisk of sorts in this tiny little town and and we turn around to go read it and it's a memorial to the space the space shuttle Challenger's pilot, Mike Smith. And he was from Beaufort, North Carolina. And who can imagine somebody mm-hmm. from such a small town progressing their way to NASA. the Air, Air Force, <laughs> then to NASA, and then becoming the pilot. becoming the pilot on the Challenger, and the tragedy that happened was tragic. But but the fact that you know you can imagine the success that this this individual had in his journey through through life until the tragedy it's just amazing. They're little yeah. airfield. They're great school named after them now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. So you mentioned that you had been um, ocean boaters before this, and you had your MJM 40Z for about 10 years before you did the loop. So obviously, yeah. very experienced boaters. So taking that experience into the loop, um, what did you gain by doing the loop, whether it's from a boating perspective or from a personal perspective? You know, how did you come out of doing the loop different than you went into it? Say something she's recording <laughs> <laughs> well you know I'll, I'll tell you it was it was certainly more uh more time on the water than we than we had ever done before and we got much better at handling the boat getting on and off 
managing the systems, the uh, managing provisioning was something that was that was a little different. Uh, you know, by the time we got through with the loop, we had just the right amount of dinners in the freezer, just the right amount of vegetables and eggs and such mm -hmm. in the refrigerator, and we were alternating between restaurants and cooking on board, and and we could do it super efficiently, and that was kind of fun to to uh, to have all those reps to get better at it. Well, and also I think being from Chicago, Lake Michigan, there are locks going into the Chicago River. Mm -hmm. So this wasn't our first experience with locks, um, but I mean we went through what we went through ninety nine locks, mm -hmm. and that's not the same for everybody because you know you do a side trip over to here, a side trip over to there, back right. and forth. Um, but we did learn and figure out very quickly that our historic program of stand driving and me being on deck was not nearly as efficient as me driving and stand being on deck mm -hmm. because strength and wingspan matter a lot when you're on the deck and you're dealing with lines and they matter not at all when you've got a joystick mm -hmm. and we by yeah it's like we'd be in a lock and all these men at the wheel would be yelling at all the women on the deck and i would just side us up and stand and tap on the roof when things were ready and we were set. Yeah. We yelled at each other a lot less than other people, I think. <laughs> <laughs> your, your point is very well taken. There are some some lockages that have been, and I'm typically, typically the line handler, but there have been some that have been a challenge. Um, when the wind is blowing and you're trying to hold yeah. that boat close to the wall, it can be hard. Um, so yeah, point is very well taken. That's another one of those advantage of, of the IPS drives um, that make it a little bit easier to maneuver the yeah. boat. Um, the MJM also has dynamic positioning, which I have never personally used, um, but I understand that it can essentially help you hold the boat in one place. So for something like keeping it close to a lock wall when the wind is blowing or for approaching a dock. And, and again, I don't know enough about it. So you're, you tell me, but the way it was yeah. explained to me by Bob Johnston was, um, you know, you can basically pull up a dock to a dock with the joystick and step off the boat yourself to tie it up. So how did that help you with looping or did you re really even use it all that much? Well, we used it, we'd used it periodically. I don't, I don't have enough confidence in the GPS positioning to turn it on uh, when we're adjacent a dock. So gotcha. I don't, I don't use it. I don't use it like that. I hear there's a new form of it coming up that's got a a nudge aspect to it which is nudging you against the dock and i might trust that a little bit more but if, you, if you've got your gps signal and, and somehow it gets disrupted a little bit it could move it could want to move you five feet onto the other side of the dock and uh, so i never used it in that regard if 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 we were waiting to get into a marina and we were clear of the marina i might turn on the the uh, dynamic positioning system and go below and do something for a few minutes and then then come back up. I'd have confidence in that, but I would uh, I, I would want to have about a 10-foot buffer gotcha. on either side. Uh, and I, So I never tested it that way, but I mean, if Bob was using it that way, I, I'm sure that he had, uh, he was more confident than I was. 
Well, you know, and in, in fairness, it is his his boat design, so he probably goes into that with confidence. Um, <laughs> um, and, and you know, point very well taken though. Technology does occasionally fail, so it is a good thing. You know, absolutely, a lock or a dock is not where you would want that to happen. So interesting to know that about about that system, and it's probably something that loopers that have it. Um, I can still see a whole bunch of uses for it, like you said, or you know. Yeah. Places where we're waiting a lot, like waiting on a lock. Um, yep. Continue to try and hold a, a single position waiting on a lock for a long time. So certainly some advantages. Um, just a couple final questions. Um, first of all, sure. what is the best advice you would give to somebody who's just now contemplating doing the loop? The best advice I would give would be do it. Mm -hmm. It's just an incredible experience. Uh, you'll be safe the whole time. It's a challenge. It's uh, it's, a, it's an experience of, of a lifetime mm -hmm. to be forgotten. I'd go with take a shop back in a camp head. Oh yeah, when your head blows up, you want to have a shop back in a camp head. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have not had that pleasure yet, but sooner or later <laughs> i think it happens to most of us mm -hmm. yes it does yeah. oh, yeah, and a little trolley cart so you can get your provisions back before <laughs> yep so um you also mentioned that uh earlier that you know kind of i can't remember now if you said this while we were talking now or if it was in your pre-interview questions but it, this kind of inspired you to do some additional did i lose you I'm sorry kim can you ask that question again? yeah absolutely Oh, no problem. <laughs> I, yeah. We did not hear the plane from this end at all. So your computer microphone's yeah. doing a great job of weeding out any background noise. But um, the question yeah. I was just kind of asking, I don't remember if we covered this while we were chatting now or if it was in your pre-interview, but you said that doing the loop kind of inspired you to do more cruising. Um, yeah. You know, tell us about life after the loop. We know you're in Key West, which is great. Yeah. Um, are you still cruising? And what are some of the places on your on your list to to take the boat now? So the uh, we're this year we're in airplanes and we're, <laughs> we're we're flying around we're catching up with some things that Dana may have wanted to do when we were cruising, right? And uh, but then we you know we are interested in going back up the Atlantic seaboard for sure, and uh, we are interested in doing a Caribbean uh, extended cruise and thinking about. Uh, getting over to the Mediterranean and possibly up into Scandinavia. So we're, you know, th this has given us the confidence, but also the interest to continue to expand our range with uh, on the water. And also, I think Lyme's a little bit more of a motorhome there. Like we would go up the West Coast to Marco Island. Yeah. Or, you know, go somewhere. Sure. That's really not a whole cruise, but the way other people might get in their car and dock somewhere sure. for a couple of days and come back. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it is a great lifestyle and um, Stan and Dana, thank you for sharing all this today. Um, I've learned more about some of the, the technologies that are in the MJM that are also applied to other boats. Um, I learned that, you know, might have to just increase membership dues a bit so I can get myself an MJM and uh, be able to trek it up to the Great Lakes. Because, <laughs> um, you know, it turns out that every place we want to do a lot more cruising is not that close to Charleston. And maybe it's because we've done Charleston and all that. But um, yeah, so that's one of the, the things we've been contemplating is, you know, what could be trucked without all of the hassles of wide load and everything else. So 
have to add MJM to that list of, of possibilities <laughs> for someday. Um, but thank you both for sharing these details. It's been really informative and we appreciate it. Good. Thank you, Kim, and really enjoyed it. Thanks for doing what you do. Thank oh, you. It is my pleasure. And thank you to everyone who's watched or listened today. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. <laughs>